I think that's sort of the attractive piece. It's like people are like, oh, I'm interested in what's going on there. Like maybe, maybe there we can like be disciples of Jesus together and really try to follow him in a committed way. Um, I think most of the people who come to incarnation are hoping to find that there. Most of the people, besides maybe like non-believers or those who are new to the faith, faith um, earnest seekers, which praise God, I want more of those people. <laughs> but um, but I think most Christians who um, who have sensed that the Lord has called them to be here have come because they're attracted to the opportunity to live a kingdom lifestyle in community. A life lived together in community, a kingdom life, has two components. Um, and those components are intimacy and impact. Intimacy and impact. So intimacy with God. So one of the things that we long for is like a shared commitment to worship the Lord together. We want to worship Him together. We want to, uh, there's a shared commitment to prayer we want to like go through our struggles with each other. We want to know that there's people around us who will pray for those things. We want to know that when we're taking like a risky step for Jesus, that there's somebody who come around with me and maybe maybe take that step with me or at least pray for me. And intimacy, so intimacy with God is one part, but then also impact in the world. And that comes from a shared commitment to God's mission. Not just like, hey, we're all going to just sort of be Lone Ranger missionaries. And just like kind of go up with people and like all by ourselves try to like be missionaries or be evangelists all by ourselves separated from community. No, a shared commitment to the mission of God. So shared worship and shared mission. Now I think the foundation of this kind of lifestyle is a shared life of worship and prayer. The intimacy with God is the foundation. It's the proper foundation of that. As John Piper has said, um, Mission exists because worship does not. You know, the reason why the mission is going forward is because there are places and there are people where God is not properly honored. Where people are not enjoying the fullness of life that comes with knowing God. And one of the things we saw in our reading today from Ezra 3, if you'll turn there, Ezra 3. And somebody can call out the page number for us. Probably not a super familiar book to you in the Old Testament. And uh, what's going on here is the Israelites had been kicked out of the promised land. They had been exiled. And uh, what's that? 390. 390. So page 390. The, the, the Israelites had been kicked out of the promised land for disobeying the Lord's commandments time and time and time and time again. And so the Lord kicked them out of the promised land. But then amazingly, and it really is a miracle of history, you guys, that that a displaced people ended up being given their land back by their oppressor. I mean, that, it's, it's incredible. It's a miracle. The prophet said that it would happen, and it freaking happened. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, but what we see in Ezra 3 is how when the Israelites returned to their land, they prioritized worship. The Israelites are returning to their homeland they don't even have homes yet. You know, they don't even have, have proper homes yet, you know? Um, they, they, uh, they haven't even fortified the wall around Jerusalem yet. That's part of the story we get in Nehemiah. And what's the first thing that they do? What's their priority? Their priority is to rebuild the altar of the Lord and to rebuild the foundation of the temple. 
So the altar of the Lord, we see that in verses 1 through 7. The foundation of the temple, we see that in 8 through 13. So worship, the worship of the living God was the priority of God's people, of the community of the Lord. In verse 3, they offered the first sacrifices they had offered in over 70 years. Then they began keeping feasts and festivals in their liturgical calendar. You know, the Jews had this liturgical calendar, and we have that too. It's a beautiful thing to just begin to like, like establish rhythms of your year and of your life together around the person of Jesus. That's what we do at Incarnation. That's what we do in the Anglican Church. And so they start immediately keeping feasts and festivals, and then they laid the foundation of the temple, they busted out all their best instruments, and they began praising the Lord. Verse 11 says, and they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. So they're singing responsively. It's like somebody sings one part and then they sing another part. Does that sound familiar? Yes. And they say, for he's good. I love just the simplicity of that. <laughs> he's good. For his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout. I love that too. Ah! <laughs> I don't know what that sounded like, right? <laughs> and they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Some of us are comfortable with uh, responsive singing, but not with great, sh great shouts. <laughs> some, of our, our, uh, some of us are comfortable with great shouts, but not responsive singing. You know, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> um, but their foundation of their common life together was praise and prayer. And that required a new building, a new place. That's what, that's what this passage is all about. Um, I was asked by my spiritual director um, last week, uh, a guy that I meet with that just helps me grow my relationship with the Lord. He's like, well, what's the reason why you guys want a new building? Um, and I was like, you know, I just kind of thought about it for a second, and I was like... Because we love to worship the Lord together, <laughs> you know. I like, you know, really the, the, the main thing that comes to my mind, like the most precious aspect of it is like, to me, the best time with you guys every week is our time around the table of the Lord. That's for me. When we gather around the table of the Lord and we're receiving communion and we're singing the Lord's praises, I mean, that's just, that's the pinnacle for me. And I say, yeah, we... You know, we're too big to fit in the living room. You know, we could get closer today than maybe on an average Sunday, but we're, we're normally too big to fit in the living room, and we want to worship the Lord together. We want to offer Him our praise together. We're trying to fill, we're trying to, at Incarnation, build a foundation of regular prayer together, not just with, like, uncommon calls to prayer, like last week where we, where we prayed and fasted, but there's a prayer meeting on Wednesday morning. There's a prayer meeting on Thursday afternoon. There's prayer for the persecuted church on Saturday. There's people who gather before service on Sunday to get together and pray. It's because we're trying to establish some sort of common rhythms of prayer together. We're not totally there yet, but we're building toward that. Because we don't want to just be a community of lone ranger Christians who happen to go to a meeting together. We want to be people who, man, we're used to pouring out our hearts to the Lord in the midst of each other. Now the truth is, and we see this in this passage, that any change can be a sad thing. I heard a historian one time say that, that human beings, religious beings, are by nature conservative when it comes to religious things. Like, don't change that, you know? 
And sometimes we try to pin that on old people or whatever. Yeah, right. You guys don't like your little special practices being changed. I guarantee it. You know, that's just the way that it is. Change can be a sad thing. Look at verses 12 through 13 of Ezra 3. It says, Many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, they had a memory of it. I mean, it was 70 years ago. Like, some of them were like, I was 13. You know? They'd seen the first house. They wept aloud. They, they knew the glory of Solomon's temple. They wept aloud when they're just standing on this foundation that they rebuilt. And when they saw the foundation of the house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so there's some who are like, yeah, man, a temple, we got a place of our own. They were like born in exile. And they came back and they're like, dude, we got our own place. This is amazing. And, and, and the people who had seen the glory of Solomon's temple, and they just saw this like altar, and they just saw this like foundation, and they were just like, oh man, it just brought up painful things for them. It says, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of people's weeping. This was a peculiar gathering. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. You just picture far away, you hear like boo-hoo crying, and you hear like, amen, hallelujah. And it's just like, there's something going on over in Jerusalem. <laughs> and I think one question that a lot of, our, a lot of us have in our minds when it comes to incarnation, when we think about, oh, it's sad that this building's being sold. Oh, I guess I didn't totally realize we didn't own this place. <laughs> Number one, that's a little sad. But um, I think a lot of us uh, have a question, um, how will our move affect our connection to Frenchtown? And, and really, it's, it's a tough question. And there's not a lot of empty buildings around here. No, it's all right, we'll just move to that place across the street, you know? Um... <laughs> And I want to clarify two things. Um, first, uh, when we move, we want to try to stay like as close to this area as we can. So we're going to be just sort of discerning, hey, where can we move? What can we afford? Lord, provide us something like in this place. We're not going to like sort of like move out to the suburbs, like way out of the center of the city, because we don't believe that's what we've been called to do. Um, but also, secondly, even if, we, even if it ends up being the case that our immediate boundaries, like we move, out, we move out of the boundaries of Frenchtown formally, we still have an opportunity to make an impact here. And uh, I think there's been a misunderstanding for people who haven't been a part of Incarnation from the beginning. So when, when us and the Halls moved down here, there was about 30 of us, mostly former, uh, former student leaders and stuff like that from InterVarsity, but others who had who had sort of gotten together some other relationships we had to start Incarnation. And let's say, I think there was about like 30 of us or so. And the goal wasn't, hey, you know, we want to uh, just impact Frenchtown, or we just want to impact college students, or we just want to impact this community or that community. We actually realized, like, in our midst, there's actually several missions we felt called to. Um, and, and some of those might, like, you know, uh, might even change over time, but some of them might be a little bit more fixed. So at the time, we, we, uh, we identified four different missions. So the Frenchtown missional community was one, and uh, we had international student mission, which, uh, which turned into Alpha. We had the new creation group, and we had the young professional group. And that just came from a time of, like, just praying and seeking, the, seeking scripture and just saying, like, 
Who has the Lord given us connection with? How can we incarnate the mission of God into these different contexts? And so we started with those. So the Frenchtown missional community was just one of those. And, and it was an important one. I mean, it's important for Carissa and I. We live here and we'll continue to live here. Um, but at the same time, we had four different, we said like, you know, our ministry, we don't just feel like it's strictly geographical. We feel like there are certain relational networks that we're called to. And so, um, so we started like kind of praying in those groups on a weekly basis, discerning what, what the next steps might be. Um, we started worshiping, um, uh, uh, sort of um, having our larger group gathering and uh, starting to sort out some of the kinks of like worshiping together. It's like, oh, this is how, uh, this is how we do liturgy and here's how we're going to, you know, sort of work out music with the gifts and talents that we have in this. And, and, uh, and here's how we're going to do children's ministry and try to do it really well, even though we're a small church, like. You know, maybe we don't have anything like fancy or shiny to show, but like we have real substance that we can um, give to these children in terms of their discipleship of Jesus. And, you know, we're going to do children's sermons and we're going to, you know, really pay attention to catechesis in that way. And so um, so we started meeting on Sundays. It wasn't public yet. And these different missional communities became a part of the outgrowth um, uh, or became connected, uh, not really a part of the out outgrowth. These were sort of decided first. When we launched publicly as a church here at Incarnation, these groups had actually already been meeting for a while. And so since then, some other groups have been added. You know, you'll, you have the women's group that started meeting, or you'll have, you know, um, there was grad students and stuff that were meeting. You know, there's the Levy Park group. But the idea all along has been to be that, that the centralized community becomes a hub for mission to the decentralized communities at Incarnation. So that's the idea. Um, it's not just like, oh, well, wherever our centralized community is, like, that's the whole sort of orb and basis of our mission. I mean, I, I think it's been obvious that that's not the, the way that we've done it, right? And if, in fact, one of the reasons why we've sort of mostly um, kept our mission efforts to Frenchtown um, in the Frenchtown missional community is just because we, I mean, just even uh, just a matter of cultural sensitivity, it's not very common for, like, a multi-ethnic church or like a predominantly where, where there's you know a whole bunch of white people gathered together in Frenchtown and then all of a sudden we're like all right we're launching a mission we're gonna have 90 people just sort of walking around trying to be do-gooders I mean it would be it could be it could very easily become I'm not saying that it necessarily is but it could very easily become something that's culturally insensitive or seems paternalistic we've tried to take a little bit more of a mustard seed approach and so the Frenchtown missional community has done different things or hosted different events at, um, Chris Jones' resignation really um, changed uh, things. It was, it was very, very, that was a very, very difficult thing for us when we thought about the future of our, of our time in Frenchtown. Um, and I, I just want to say, um, I, I, you know, I, I don't think that this means that we can't have an impact in Frenchtown. In fact, I think that there's two very important, and you know, the cool thing is, I just say, like more and more so the case, like the traditional historic African-American church in Tallahassee is like knows about us and is like really like welcoming to us. Like we just prayed with greater love, uh, Church of God in Christ a few weeks ago. Since then, we've actually been invited by two other historic, historically black congregations to just meet with them for prayer and worship. You know, and, and I, you know, I'm sort of building friendships through the kind of political, uh, through, through some stuff that I'm doing in Frenchtown and, and whatever. And just people know about us and they're just like, oh, like these are, these are welcoming people. These are people who are trying to contextualize themselves to people of different ethnicities and cultures. And one of the gifts that we've had all along here 
and, and will continue to have as long as we have a ministry in Frenchtown is Frenchtown is not used to a multi-ethnic church. Right? It's 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 a I mean it's not just like a prophetic thing in like a white neighborhood, it's a prophetic thing in like a predominantly black neighborhood. It's like, oh, like Asian Americans and Latinos and African Americans and Afro-Caribbeans and white people and everybody sort of worshiping together, that's a that's a risky thing. That's a prophetic thing, no matter what neighborhood that it's in. Um, and, and another thing is, um, I, I still think that some really cool initiatives could grow out of these groups at times. You know, maybe even nonprofits will grow. Like we talked about in the Frenchtown Missional Community, like maybe at some point we want like a sort of house, like an incarnation house, like a semi-monastic house where like, you know, a group of five or six women could live and like devote themselves to prayer and mission in that neighborhood, or five or six men could live, you know? Or we, we've, sort of, we've sort of explored partnerships of this like missional coffee house that like hires the local poor to kind of work it, and there, it's like an empowerment project. I've talked with my friend Herb, who's an urban missionary in, in Pittsburgh, and we're still sort of weighing those things. Those kind of ventures can still happen, um, even if we were to move. Um, so, while I think it's probably fair to say that with, with my British partner over here and myself as, as, the, as the pastors of this church, we, we, we probably don't have much of an opportunity of being like a typical neighborhood church in Frenchtown, but I, I, th- I still think we do have a unique opportunity to be a blessing. And, and one other thing that I'll just mention with that is I think a unique charism, a unique gift that this church has to offer is an opportunity to raise up generations of leaders in the body of Christ. And I think that, that uh, like a multi-ethnic, you know, leadership, you know, training, discipling vision is a part of what this church brings. So. All right. Um, so we talked about how change can be hard. We've talked about the foundation of this church, intimacy, worship. And, and last, I want to share, there's actually a second foundation. And it's just as foundational. We're going to see that for our common life at Incarnation, which is shared mission the impact that we want to have for the kingdom. So turn with me to your gospel reading from John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And we notice right away in verse 27 that the disciples, it says they marveled at how Jesus... What are they marveling at? They're marveling at how he crosses a gender and an ethnic barrier to minister to this Samaritan woman. This happened, I mean, like, when you cross gender and ethnic barriers, like, people marvel at that. They're like, whoa, that's not the way that the world usually works. Right? Um, that's an opportunity that we have at Incarnation. It's a kingdom reality. It's not just the sort of the way that the world works, you know. Let's, let's lean into the kingdom. And Jesus says something really interesting in verse 34. He says um, to the disciples who are, like, confused by what's going on, he says this. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. That my food is to do the work of the Lord. Jesus is saying, like, the thing that gives me energy, the thing that sustains me so that I might actually have life and live, is to do the work of the Lord. It's my bread, he says. We all know that when Jesus was tempted by the devil, he says... Uh, you know, man. Does, he says in the scriptures, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, right? So he's saying scripture is like bread to believers. Well, here, what is he saying is bread? The mission of God. He's saying this is food, guys. 
and that we're not going to be healthy if we're not participating, if we're not tasting of that food. We need the food of God's word. And that's part of the reason why we're committed to Bible study here. You know, you notice these missional communities, most of them are, you know, doing some sort of intense Bible study. You know, that's part of the reason why we're committed to biblical preaching. But you also need the food of participating in God's mission. Literally, our program for discipleship at this church is to try to get as many people as possible engaging in God's word and God's mission. Because we say, that's actually where the food is. You know, because we could like take you guys through a class and we could and you could say, I've graduated from, you know, Christianity 101. And we didn't engage God's word and we're not eating the food of God's work and mission. And we're just like, OK, I'm just becoming fat and lazy and pharisaical now <laughs> because now I have all this knowledge, but I'm actually not putting anything into practice. Right. So it's not, you know, and nothing against classes. I mean, we just met for catechesis just before this, you know. But it's not anything against classes. We do roots classes or newcomers and, and different things like that. Great. But our strategy, our program, like the thing that we're like sort of banking on, helping you mature in your relationship with the Lord, is Bible study and participating in the mission of God. If you think you've graduated from Bible study, it's like, oh yeah, I remember when I used to just like attend Bible study. I remember when I used to study scripture on my own and now I've like gotten real mature and I, you know, I, I do other disciplines. Like, what? <laughs> Jesus said, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Have you cut yourself out from the bread that God has provided for you? This is how we're going to grow. This is how we're going to become strong. And Jesus says that his mission is like that. So we want everybody at Incarnation, eventually, to be participating in, in our common mission together. I say common mission together because there are times when some of you will have like an uncommon mission in your family um, or our personal devotion. Like, and it, like if you're a young parent, <laughs> it's like it's very hard to get away from just this primary mission to disciple your children and raise them in the knowledge and love of God. Like your food, your mission is to like read scripture with them, love them. Build relationships with your neighbors who have kids. I mean, that, there's so much mission there, right? Or, or some of you guys have, you know, very, very demanding careers. And, and, you're, and, and you say, like, I want to be a legal expert for those who have no voice. Or I want to, you know, there, there are different things. There are different uncommon mission that, that might mean, oh, I just don't have quite as, quite as big of a slice of pie of my time for, like, church work. And, and we don't want to denigrate that or say that that's wrong. But because we're a community, we're going to talk about our shared mission, Right? And we want people to, to be able to participate in that to whatever extent they're able to. So, um, so we have like people who attend, right? And we want it to be the case that if somebody attends incarnation, that before long they start to serve. You know, they start to say, "Hey, I'll I'll bring the snacks on Sunday morning, or like I'll set up the food, or I'll I'll, I'll do special music." Or like, I'll, I'll push the button on the PowerPoint, which is actually a harder job than you might think, you know? It's like, people only notice you when you make a mistake, you know? <laughs> you know? Or, or, like, or like, man, like, do, do, does, do they need more volunteers in children's ministry? I love to read the Word of God, you know? Yes, like, I, you know, man, I want to I wanna participate. I, wanna, I just want to start to serve. 
but this is one of the missing, missing pieces, I'm convinced, and, and, and something that I learned through InterVarsity, is a, a lot of times we go straight from people serving to people leading, and people need an apprenticeship opportunity. People need an opportunity to learn leadership alongside of those who have been tested and are walking with the Lord, and I'm not saying that their stuff doesn't stink, or you know, that, they, that they don't have sin in their life, but... They, they, they're, they're acknowledged leaders in the church who have been through a process of discipleship. And so we want opportunities for people to be apprenticed. Part of the reason why I like Kairos prison ministry, and there's men from Incarnation at Kairos this morning, and it was so awesome yesterday to watch them like give talks and like host their table group and stuff like that. And if it's their first time there, they have a little less responsibility. If, if it's their second or third time there, they have a little more responsibility because they're being apprenticed. One of the reasons why I like Alpha is that the second time you go through Alpha, you're given a little bit more responsibility. Amen, Muchen? A little bit more responsibility this time. You know? And, and one of the reasons, one of the things that we do in all of our missional communities, we don't let anybody be a missional community leader who hasn't gone through a season of apprenticeship. And that's not to say, because you're on spiritual level 7 and your leader's on spiritual level 9, I mean, like you, you might be more mature than them. I, I, but we just, in, in, in good order and part of the discipleship that we're trying to offer at this church, we want people to be apprenticed. You might be an awesome small group leader who's done wonderful things at other congregations, but we don't totally know you yet, and you don't totally know us, so let's have this season where you attend for a little while and you apprentice, and I want everybody to have a wonderful ministry and use their gifts in every way possible at this church. So then apprentice, and then lead. You know? Maybe some of you guys who, who you know, are reading for the first time, Hannah read for the first time today at Incarnation, like, you know, maybe at some point she's like, I love just participating in Sunday worship service. And I want to just like be the person who wears the robe and, you know, knows how to wipe the cup and stuff like that. And Hannah's like, no, don't volunteer me. But like, <laughs> maybe there's a deeper responsibility that, that's there. Or, or maybe you start to say, man, I love the Frenchtown missional community. Or I love the Levy Park missional community. And I love being a part of that. And then somebody in there says, hey, have you ever considered being an apprentice? And you're like, what? Like... No, I don't like talk in front of like a group, you know? And they're like, hey, you can do it, you know? We'll bring you through this process. It won't all be on you right away, you know? The group's not going to be looking to you for everything, you know? Okay, you know, you start to take steps, right? That's the apprenticeship process. So Jesus says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields that are white with harvest. He says, there's opportunities to serve me. There's opportunities to do the Father's work all over the place. And having eyes to see the harvest around us is a matter of spiritual maturity. It's something that should happen when we're in community. It's like, oh, I didn't even notice that somebody was actually doing that. Like, hmm, I wonder if I could step up and do that. I just want to say, as, as I draw to a close, that being a missional Christian is not a Facebook profile. It's not like, oh, I want to go to Incarnation or, or like I want to go to like Tampa Underground or whatever because then I'll be a missional Christian. Like, no, like, mission is as mission does. Like, if you want to be a missional Christian, you devote yourself to the mission of God. And that's hard. It's like, I don't want to wake up early and go and do children's ministry today. You know, like, I don't want to take the time to sort of, like, make the contacts with the refugee community or, 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 or show up and do the Kairos prison ministry or, or, or whatever the case may be. That's like, that's, that can be tough. And we don't always feel like doing it. 
But, but devoting yourself to the mission of God is not a Facebook profile. You don't, it's not a box that you check because you're like, I'm part of a church where the pastor has a soul patch or something stupid like that. <laughs> well, I could grow it. I'm not saying that I can't. You know, Cassidy said something when we gathered um, as, as a church and we're praying a few weeks ago. She said, um, I said, I said, you know, you're about, to, you're about to transition. You're about to go overseas to Uganda. It's like, do you feel like the Lord's given you any clarity or any, anything in your perspective on incarnation that you'd want to share with me? And, and I asked her to share this today, but she, she, she knew she was going to be out of town. But she said, you, you can share it. I said, okay. I'll tell him, I'll tell him you said it. She said, I feel like at Incarnation, there's a lot of big fish that need to realize that they're big fish. She said, there's a lot of people sort of just swimming around waiting for something to happen. And like the Lord's called them to be the ones to step out and make it happen. I said, that sounds good, Cassie. <laughs> I, uh, one of my favorite moments ever in an Anglican church gathering was when uh, Archbishop Ben Kwashi, who's the Archbishop of um, uh, Nigeria, one of the Archbishops in Nigeria, it's a very large church in Nigeria. And um, we had this gathering in, uh, in Kenya, and, um, and actually just a week before that, his wife had been abducted and kidnapped. And like there was, and he'd been abducted and kidnapped. And I mean, there's like gun pointing, like, sexual violation kind of stuff. I mean, it was, it was a very, very intense, like, difficult thing, and the church was praying for them, and people didn't know whether they would ever see him and his wife again. And, uh, and somebody was kind of interviewing him on stage and just asking him questions because people are like, the whole worldwide Anglican communion was worried about them. And the guy said, um, well, does, does the presence of radical Islam in Nigeria um, make the mission more difficult? And he said, uh, no, like immediately, he's like, no. He said, it doesn't make it more difficult. He said, like, preaching Jesus and discipling people always works. He said, it just, it just makes it more costly. Right, and from a Western perspective, we're like, oh, well, that, that's, that's actually what I was asking. Because <laughs> we don't like to pay costs. <laughs> Are we willing together to make a costly commitment to the mission of God, brothers and sisters? I think a lot of us joined incarnation to live a kingdom lifestyle, and that can really happen. I'm convinced that God can do it if we devote ourselves to worshiping the Lord, seeking His face together, and trying to work out how do we be a light in this world. Jesus says we're the light of the world. How do we do that together? Amen. Amen. just want to open it up for just a few questions and comments and we'll go right from that into prayer. Yeah? Does the statement that no matter what, like from what I understand, like I think it's this is the same principle called Kenya Church, that it's not the building that you're in that's considered your church, it's the community in itself that's considered your church. Yeah, that's right. A church is not a building. It's the people of God. Right? Yeah. We're the temple of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to clarify for everybody. It's good. Thank you, Austin. Awesome. Amen. If there's like a period of like, if there's like a gap where we don't have a building, like we'll still be a church. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
what else? Any 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 questions or comments or just things that you'd like to have clarified? I know some of you guys like you know this like the back of your hand. You're like, I live that. And some of you guys uh, knew it, and, and you're like, man, I'm just forgetting that that's like what we're about. And some of you guys are like, oh, that, that actually is clarifying. I never knew that. Yeah. Is there someone we can talk to who can tell us, like, the second part to serve, yeah. where the, the biggest needs are, so that those of us who have a little extra time can maybe like, fill those gaps? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for asking that. Um, best person to talk to is probably Liz Riley, um, but you could also talk to John. Um, they, they kind of schedule with a lot of those sort of service-based roles in the community here. And um, sometimes we'll just ask you to, you know. <laughs> um, but thank you. Yeah. Um, is there um, a place you Like besides the one we did last week, <laughs> I think that would be a good idea. I think it was a good experience, and we're gonna wanna um, we're gonna wanna fast and pray together again. Um, the biggest benefit for that to me, like the thing that I was most hoping would come out of that, is just is not like oh here's the building that we need. It's like just intimacy with God that comes from like coming to Him with our common need together. I think we'll definitely do that. But just so you guys know, there's a prayer meeting, there's a morning prayer here every Wednesday at seven thirty. And there's a, there's a prayer meeting, there's a, there's a time of intercession that happens every Thursday at noon. And we intentionally keep that to an hour so that people can go to it during their, their lunch, uh, lunch breaks if, if they are able to. It's seven on Wednesdays. Seven on Wednesdays, yeah. That shows you how devoted I am to um, Come to what you can. I was just another word is there anything we need, is there any way we need to repent and I'll just say as one of the, one of the beautiful things as somebody who feels like the Lord is freshly calling me to repent in many ways um, one of the things that repentance can be a scary word or surrender can be a scary word but like it's less scary if you remember and, and you if you kind of fumble back through 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 your memory you're like oh like it's actually by surrendering that we receive abundant life right so the, 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 the repentance is not just like, you need to repent. And you're going to be sad about that before and after and forever. But you need to repent about it. No, it's like, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. Jesus says, you know, take up your cross daily and follow me. Anybody who tries to keep their life will lose it. But anyone who loses their life for my sake will truly find it. It's the way we enter into that abundant life because we say, it's a way of saying like, I'm not the leader of my life. I'm going to let you do that. And he actually knows how to care for us better than we care for ourselves. That's the thing. Um, and if we put ourselves in control, some of us will like actually work harder than God is actually asking. But God's like, 
rest. I'm trying to make you lie down in green grass. Like, you know, rest your head, you know. And some of us, if, if we rely on ourselves, we'll just kind of like get sort of fat and lazy in the Lord, you know. Like, we'll just be like, ah, just, eh, I just feel like watching TV all my life or something, you know. Like, um, but but that the repentance, it's a call into true life. And I think that's a good question. So I, I'm just going to ask us to stand. I'm going to invite the person who's leading us in prayer today. Because I think that's a good transitional question. And maybe we can start by freshly asking, is there anything that we need to surrender to the Lord? And there is, there is biblical precedent for praying we at times from your own mouth. And so maybe we'll start by asking, is there something that the Lord would have us surrender? And then I'll trust uh, Sarah to lead us over else after that.